Hey everyone, welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics, and historical cases. Join me as I inform, educate, and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates, and I'm an award-winning author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Now, grab your crime scene kits, notebooks, and hats, and join me on this investigation. Welcome to Part 2 of Podcast 3. The date is the mid-1930s. The place is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Your mission is to review notes from Podcast 1, and in this case, you're going to continue to take notes on the most evil female serial killer you may have never heard of. First, let's review our notes from part one of our journey. Remember, at the corner of 10 East 21st Street and South Main in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's a vacant parking area. There's a set of old stone steps leading off of the lot down toward the street level. These steps are the remnants of one of the most evil female serial killers you may have never heard of. Her name is Opal Mary Carey, a.k.a. Carol Ann Mary Smith, a.k.a. Carol Ann Horner, a.k.a. Carol Ann Meredith Carey, a.k.a. Carol Ann Smith. But in this story, just to make it easier, we're going to call her Carol Ann Smith because that is the name she was arrested. We'll get to that. She was born Opal Mary Carey in Indianapolis, Indiana in 1893. They were a wealthy family. Carol Ann and her two sisters attended private schools. A pious family, they attended the local Episcopalian church where Carol Ann loved to sing and study her Bible. That's an important part of the story. Her mother died in 1902 when Carol Ann was only a nine-year-old girl. Her father, whom Carol Ann just adored, moved the family to Muskogee, Oklahoma. Carol Ann would marry a man named Faye Harold Smith in 1914. Now, they lived quite well until Faye lost his job due to the Great Depression. Faye's mysterious suicide some years later would leave Carol Ann with a $31,000 insurance payoff. Beulah Walker was the Smith family maid. She worked for Carol Ann and for Faye. Carol Ann had Beulah sign a life insurance policy worth a lot of money, and Carol Ann insisted that Beulah name Carol Ann as the beneficiary. When Beulah died under mysterious circumstances, Carol Ann attempted to collect that insurance, but she was denied when the company realized she had lied on the policy. Remember, Carol Ann said that Beulah was her wealthy aunt which was a lie. And it seemed wherever Carol Ann went, people just dropped dead. The investigator working face suicide reportedly died. Carol Ann's sister passed during this time period. Reportedly, Carol Ann's father died unexpectedly, and that left Carol Ann with a hefty insurance payoff. And supposedly, the officiant who organized the family funerals also died a mysterious death. Now, get your notepads and pencils, settle your hat on your head, 
and let's move forward with the evidence. 24-year-old Virginia Evans was from a prominent family in Stroud, Oklahoma. She had the misfortune of meeting Carol Ann Smith in 1937 at a Christian science bookstore. The two women struck up a friendship. After a year or so, Carol Ann asked Virginia, why don't you move in with me at the Sophian Plaza Park home? And Virginia very happily did. Virginia was a white female, slender, with thick, curling, ash blonde hair. She was out of a six-month marriage. She was known for her quiet ways and gentle nature. Virginia would later have a story to tell. Seven years later, Virginia would say she was hypnotized and mesmerized by the older woman. 23-year-old Nell Willita Horner met Carol Ann at a grocery store sometime in 1938, about a year after Carol Ann met Virginia. Willita and Carol Ann talked occasionally at the grocery store. Willita was a white female, sort of plain, with a pleasant disposition and a wide, toothy smile. She could be shy and somewhat naive. Willita eventually told Carol Ann about her bad childhood. Willita had ran away, thanks to a friend who helped her, but now she had a really good job, making good pay. The Great Depression was finally coming to an end, thankfully, and America was beginning to climb its way out of the dark pit. Willita had no idea she was about to fall into one. Willita was introduced to Carol Ann's roommate, a quiet girl named Virginia. But each time the two women tried to talk, Carol Ann would interrupt them. Carol Ann was quite the talker. Soon, when the girls tried to be part of a conversation, Carol Ann would and start a conversation of her own with herself over the girls. Finally, the girls just quit talking at all because Carol Ann started controlling all conversations and soon she became a monologue unto herself. But the older woman was so kind to them, individually and together, that it just sort of seemed to happen so naturally. So they basically started let Carol Ann take the reins as it was. Later, Willetta would say she and Mrs. Smith had a mother-daughter style of relationship. Willetta had never really had a mom figure. And she also thought Carol Ann adopted her when she moved into the Sophian Plaza Park apartment. You're my daughter now, Carol Ann told her. I signed all the paperwork. Willetta Horn had no idea what a normal home life was like because, remember, she had escaped a very abusive home. Carol Ann would fuss over her, showering her with compliments, words of encouragement, like a real mom should do. Willetta was easily fooled. She's a prostitute. Carol Ann confided to Virginia. Willetta has worked the streets. She's had sex with men, women, animals. She's had weird sex for money. I'm trying to save her soul from going to hell. Oh, Virginia would reply. Willetta asked to move in with me to get off the streets downtown. That's where I met her, trying to help save souls. Poor thing. Carol Ann would dab at tears. 
It's our job to save her soul, Virginia. But we cannot say anything to her about what I've told you. I'll help when I can, Virginia promised. While Virginia's soaking up this information and staying away from Willetta, lies about her were floating around through the apartment. She's a virgin, Carol Ann said to Willetta. Now, she didn't bother talking about the six-month marriage that Virginia just got out of. But she tells Willetta she's tried to murder her own father. She's crazy. She belongs in an asylum, but I had to take her in. I can't let her go to the crazy house. Poor thing, her mother just hates her guts. Carol Ann dabbed at tears. It's our jobs to save her soul. But we can't say anything to her about what I've told you. She might go into one of her murderous rages. <gasps> I won't say a word, Virginia promised. And for a long time, she didn't. The young women kept their jobs, and they dutifully placed their money in the same account. Carol Ann started keeping charge of paying the bills and purchasing necessities. Just let's put all our money together, she said. It will be so much easier, and I'll take care of all that mess of paying bills and keeping track of the money, and just let me do it. And pretty soon, she was. At first, it worked. It was the easy way. And then, it didn't. But by then, it was way too late. Soon, the girls were ordered to go nowhere except to and from work. You go to work, you work, you don't talk to anybody, and you come home. Got it? They were ordered to cut all ties to family and friends. Willetta's brother attempted to contact her, but Willetta told her brother she had moved away and wanted no communication with anybody. Should the girls deviate from the rules, the pious old woman gave them hell. And pious she was. There were the purification spells, the sermons, scripture readings up into the night, holy readings all day long, the fear of God via Carol Ann Smith would filter into Willetta and Virginia until both girls feared hell and dying a sinner more than anything else in life. If they complied with Carol Ann's purification ceremonies, they would receive, said Carol Ann, a great reward in heaven. And Carol Ann dubbed it the big payoff. Even if these ceremonies brought shrieks of pain, bruising, scars, tears, the big payoff awaited them in heaven. Well, the landlord of Sophia and Plaza was not a fan of Mrs. Carol Ann Smith, so he raised the rent just to get her out. In those days, they could do that. The ploy worked, but the widow told the girls, Well, <laughs> we're being evicted because you two aren't good enough to live here. See, you're just common working class girls and you're embarrassing everybody. Well, they packed up and moved into a home near Boston Place and 25th, still in Tulsa. It suited them for a while, but Carol Ann felt it just beneath her to being seen in that neighborhood. So, a year later, she finds an appropriate home for the queen and her two groveling servants. Tulsa's Maple Ridge was the place to live, to be seen, where money just flowed like champagne. The area was far better than the Sophian Plaza Park. 
10 East 21st Street sat at the corner of St. Main Street at a bigger duplex. It was a lovely two-story brick home, and it awaited Carol Ann Smith. It was a beautiful, opulent home. There were the building edges, and they were tiered. There was red brick, the fanciful white decorative brick at the corners over a large porch. There was an octagon-shaped sunroom taking up a whole end of the building. There were these large doubled windows to watch the world go by, a world much less than what they were living. It sat on a raised plot with natural stone lining the yard. Five stone steps led down to the street level, so even physically it was above everyone else. Thick manicured trees and shrubs hid it from the unwashed who passed by on the sidewalk, ogling the manicured lawn, and folks would admire this big, large fountain that gurgled in front of the home. And there, unseen and deep below, was a basement. Now, the basement was typical for its time. Cold brick, no heat, with just a little peep of light coming in from a shuttered window. The floor was solid, and it would have made a great storage area, but it was hell for two women. Neighbors of Carol Ann gossiped, and they discussed Carol Ann, who was a hot topic, which means the local kids gossiped too. One even went to school and casually mentioned to a teacher at Lee Elementary that the two women in Mrs. Carol Ann's backyard, with no light except the moon, were burying what looked like coffins. Carol Ann Smith was watching the women when she was standing on her balcony. Now the neighbors were asking one another, Did you hear those screams coming from the house? I heard growls. I've heard growls too. I have. I have too. It is so strange. I know. She's kind of scary. It's very weird. Hey, I heard screams the other night, like coming from a woman. And those growls. What's up with that? In 1939, World War II began, but America did not enter the fight until bombs dropped on Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. The Japanese were destroying a flurry of ships and 2,403 American lives. On December 7, 1941, the United States declared war on Japan. Three days later, the United States became fully engaged in the Second World War. Now, none of this meant much to Carol Ann Smith, except ration books became necessary so the soldiers would have equipment to fight the war. The University of Delaware's Arts and Science History page explains, quote, War ration books were produced by the United States Office of Price Administration in 1942 when United States officially entered the Second World War. Shortages of essential war materials such as rubber, gasoline, and sugar were initially anticipated, but soon rationing grew to include food as well as fuel and sugar. End quote. As an example, a ration book issued to the public for May 4th through May 7th, 1942, included stamp number 17. That was designated for a pair of shoes. Also rationed consumables and non-essentials, such as nylon hose and makeup for ladies. Families signed up 
for what was meted out in ration books. When the ration stamps were gone, families had to wait until they received another book. Therefore, they had to be very careful when they used their stamps. The bigger the family, the more ration stamps they received. So they would have to sign up and put their family members. All of this mattered to Carol Ann Smith. And that little ration book with those little stamps led to her big downfall. You see, Carol Ann Smith still maintained her expensive tastes. That would explain why she dressed in the latest fashions. You would always see her dressed in the prettiest dresses in expensive cloth. Nice, nice jewelry dangled from her ears and sleekly hung around her thick neck. While others around her were just eking by, she was sauntering around the downtown sidewalks in clothing ordered from premium stores. Carol Ann drove a shiny new Packard. That Packard just seemed to glide down the road, and to the ragamuffin kids on the roadside and the folks who were barely holding on, if they had a car, it looked like a mirage as it's just gliding past, just purring in the Tulsa air. So one measly little ration book was not going to do it for her. Carol Ann needed fur coats, cosmetics, shoes, accessories, cologne, perfume. She wanted it all because it had to go with her nice clothes and to look good while she's driving around in her expensive Packard. Carol Ann wanted a lot and it had to be expensive and it had to be the best. Her table had to be set with the best silverware in China. Therefore, she had to apply for seven ration books, as many as she could get. So, on her paperwork, she said six were her for children and for her dependents. In reality, remember, she had no children that lived past infancy. So, she wrote down her two dependents were her roommates, Virginia and Walida. Three of the books were issued in the names of Faye H. Smith, her ex-husband, and Carol Ann's father, Thomas, and Beulah Walker. All three of these people were very deceased. And one ration book she had issued to her 11-year-old nephew, Bobby. And Carol Ann listed Bobby as a residence in her home. But Bobby was actually Bon Bon, Carol Ann's little bulldog. And this is where Carol Ann made mistake number one screwing over the government. Now, in those days, it was much easier to get caught cheating the government. And cheating the government during the war, especially when it came to rationing, was not a good idea. The rations board flagged Carol Ann's application as a suspicious case, so they turned it over to the Tulsa Police Department to investigate. Remember, Tulsa wasn't the metropolis it is now. The Tulsa police began interviewing neighbors, and boy, did they get an earful. Enough to get a search warrant at 10 East 21st Street, especially when a neighbor reported seeing two women burying coffins in the backyard by the light of the moon. With Carol Ann Smith overseeing the project from her balcony. And then there were those crazy screams and growls coming from their house at all hours. The cops got an earful. 
Shovels were hitting the dirt in the backyard of 10 East 21st Street. Dirt goes flying until the shovel hits wood. Investigators start scrambling, diggling. Did you hear that? It sounded like wood. It sounded like one of those coffins, didn't it? So they're tossing clods of dirt with their hands, frantically clawing until the coffin is exposed. And what investigators found became part of Tulsa, Oklahoma's dark history. They say, to this day, that patch of earth is haunted. And there is a haunted house still in business, entirely devoted to what was found in the home of Carol Ann Smith. But we're saving that for the last report in the final installment, part three of the most evil female serial killer you've never heard of. Know the signs of an abusive relationship. They include controlling your relationship with others, intimidation, pressuring you to do things you don't want to do, pushing for a quick relationship, and controlling your money, time, and possessions without discussion. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, please seek help. Please talk to someone. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE. They're open 24 hours, 7 days a week. You can go to the website at www.thehotline.org. They are multilingual and GLBT friendly. Please, for the sake of yourself, call or go online. Coming up in the next podcast, part three, the final installment of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Best True Crime Podcast. We are a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Every episode is a journey where I take you to explore crime, forensics, and historical cases. Join me next episode as I inform, educate, and entertain true crime enthusiasts through criminal justice and dark history tours. My name is Judith A. Yates. I am an award-winning author, a criminologist, and paranormal explorer. I hope you subscribe, and please stop by my website and check out my books and the games created by my team at www.truecrimebook.net.